Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Firefighters are making progress against the wildfires burning around the Bay Area, including the CZU Complex Fire in Santa Cruz and San Mateo counties. So far, the blaze has burned more than 80,000 acres and is 19% contained. 538 buildings have been destroyed or damaged, and thousands of people have been evacuated. During a press conference earlier this morning, CAL FIRE Unit Chief Ian Larkin was optimistic that residents may be able to return home soon. The troops on the ground uh, and the incident management team that are here are working diligently and as quickly as possible to make the environment as safe as possible for us to uh, repopulate the areas uh, that are affected. Cooler, calmer weather will allow CAL FIRE to fly more firefighting planes today and conduct controlled burns near the fire's perimeter to increase containment. Also, we still have three months to go in California's official fire season. But as many experts will tell you, fire season is now pretty much all year around. Meanwhile, California Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley says work continues to protect fire evacuees from both the blazes and the coronavirus. In evacuation shelters, cots are six feet apart and masks and temperature checks are being offered. Galley also has this advice for people in affected areas dealing with thick smoke. Stay home as much as you can. Keep your doors closed and your windows shut. If you need the air condition, use it prudently. And lots of state parks and beaches have been closed because of the poor air quality and fires. Now let's go back in time for a moment. The world's best skiers and skaters have come to this remote valley with the odd sounding name, Squaw Valley. That's archival tape from the 1960 Winter Olympics held in a Lake Tahoe area ski resort. That resort will soon get a new name, one that's not offensive to Native American women and the local Washu tribe. Cap Radio's Ezra David Romero has more. The Squaw Alpine Meadows Resort will be dropping Squaw from its name because it's racist and sexist. But resort execs say the name won't go away until a new name is announced after ski season. Washu people take offense to the use of the word, says Herman Fillmore, culture and language resources director for the tribe. It doesn't come from here in Washu country, nor does it come from the western United States. The legend is, the land the resort sits on was given the derogatory name by white settlers when they passed through because no men were present. The resort earned worldwide recognition after it hosted the 1960 Winter Olympics. Ron Cohen is the president of the resort. It's a multi-million dollar effort. You know, it's not a reason not to do it, but it's important to understand that it's not something that can be done overnight. But Fillmore with the tribe says there's another issue beyond the resort name change. 
He says Lake Tahoe is pronounced wrong. We more just laugh at the, the kind of nonsense that it creates when combining two languages. So to call something Lake Da'ao or in the Englishized version, Lake Tahoe, it's really just Lake Lake. The Washu name for the lake is Da'ao Aga, and it evokes imagery of the moment you approach the edge of the lake. Fillmore says the tribe isn't asking for the name to be restored, but if Tahoe was pronounced correctly, that might be just as or more historic for the tribe than dropping a racist slur from a ski resort. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. The state justice department has reached settlements with three California school districts over discriminatory treatment of black students and students with disabilities. KQED's Vanessa Rancano has more on the announcement. The investigations found the districts failed to respond to complaints of discrimination and harassment, in some cases racial slurs, and relied too heavily on harsh exclusionary discipline policies. The Department of Justice started looking into the Barstow Unified School District, Oroville City Elementary School District, and Oroville Union High School District last year. Attorney General Javier Becerra laid out some of the startling figures. The rate of days punished among students who were reported for defiant behavior in Barstow Elementary Schools was 168% greater for black students than for their white peers. Oroville Middle School students with disabilities received nearly twice as many days of punishment as their non-disabled peers. Over the next five years, these districts are going to have to show the state they're overhauling their discipline policies, putting in place stronger mental health and counseling services, and coming up with better ways to handle student complaints. They'll also have to tackle the issue of implicit bias among teachers and staff, a root cause behind disproportionate suspensions and expulsions of students of color and students with disabilities. For The California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño. Let's turn to higher education. UC Irvine here in Southern California has a tiny number of black students compared to most other UC campuses. In response, UCI has launched an initiative to boost the recruitment of black students and faculty and help them succeed once they're on campus. KCRW's Danielle Chiriguayo reports. The new plan is called the Black Thriving Initiative, and its goal is to confront anti-blackness on campus by reviewing everything from campus policing practices to its course offerings. School officials say they must change campus culture, build diversity, and increase the number of black students who go on to pursue graduate degrees if they want to fulfill their mission as a research institution. Douglas M. Haynes is the Vice Chancellor for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at UC Irvine. You cannot be an institution that proclaims to serve the people or to mobilize talented young people to grow if you do not recognize the existence of anti-blackness as an existential threat and do something to confront it. Last year, a little more than 3% of UC Irvine's undergraduate students were black. Only UC San Diego's population was lower. On top of student recruitment, this initiative expands teaching about the black experience with 10 new faculty hires and an offer of $30,000 research grants. Universities made other moves in recent years. In 2016, UCI built the Black Scholars House, a living and learning community, and last year hired 13 new black faculty members. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Chiriguayo in Los Angeles. In Yuba County, immigrant detainees held at the local jail are coming off a six-day hunger strike to protest conditions they say make them more vulnerable. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. 
The coronavirus has swept through ICE facilities in San Diego and Bakersfield, and immigrants held for ICE at the Yuba County Jail are afraid they could be next. Eduardo Melendez is one of 20 people there who refused meals for almost a week. Every day we wake up scared, you know, thinking that one of us gets it, we all, we're all going to get it, and, you know, we might not be able to see their our families again. He wants jail officials to test detainees and staff regularly for COVID-19 and stop accepting inmates from prisons and jails to reduce the risk of the virus coming in. This should be handled properly uh, before it's too late. A spokeswoman with the Yuba County Sheriff's Department, which oversees the jail, says the department is only accepting transfers when legally required. Medical care is on site 24-7, she says, and they follow a daily cleaning protocol. But detainees say the place is often filthy and it can take more than a week to see a nurse or doctor. Kelly Wells with the San Francisco Public Defender's Office represents a 20-year-old asylum seeker in ICE detention at the Yuba jail who remains on hunger strike. These conditions are awful. They're awful under normal circumstances. And now they're outrageously abysmal and dangerous for people. She says people awaiting immigration proceedings shouldn't be locked up there. And after detainees sued the spring, a federal judge ordered ICE to release almost 200 immigrants held in Yuba and the Mesa Verde Detention Center in Bakersfield. At a Yuba County Board of Supervisors meeting Tuesday, advocates pleaded with supervisors to ensure detainees are safe. Board Vice Chair Gary Bradford declined to comment. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area, its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Since the early days of the pandemic, there's been a big increase in people turning to food banks for help. Now those food banks face the challenge of fire season. The California Report's Nina Sparling has more. When a fire forced I-70 to close in Sierra County in mid-August, Tammy Muldoon started to worry. She runs the High Sierra Family Resource Center in Loyalton, which distributes food to the community twice a month. So the first Friday was fine, and then the second Friday we had to cancel because of the fire camp being here. The road closures kept the regular truck delivery from the Food Bank of Northern Nevada from making it to Loyalton, which meant Muldoon had to cancel that week's food distribution. Well, we'll have to put that off until the first Friday in September. That's after she's seen the number of people coming to the bimonthly food pickups more than double because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Across the state, food banks and food pantries have been seeing similar increases in demand. 
With fire season clearly underway, that number is likely to increase. And it's happening at a moment when resources are already stretched thin. We thought we were at capacity two years ago, and here we are. That's Allison Goodwin, the director of programs at the Redwood Empire Food Bank, which serves much of Northern California. In the past few years, it's moved about 18 million pounds of food. This year, that number looks more like 25 million pounds. And that increase has come at a time when the typical sources of income for a food bank have changed a lot. Normally, we have business partners and corporate sponsors that either attend our annual event or do their philanthropic giving, and clearly all of that has you know, really stopped. Help from the California National Guard packing boxes and a steady supply of food from the USDA through the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program have made it possible to keep up, Goodwin says. But that support won't last forever. And now, fire season has thrown another wrench in the routine. As we were getting Nixel alerts, it was like, uh-oh, like we're not going to be able to go to Monterio, Guerneville, Sebastopol, Jenner, Sea Ranch. That's what we do on a Wednesday. The LNU complex fire that continues to burn in Sonoma County kept Redwood Empire from distributing at some of its normal locations as residents evacuated last week. They saw a big increase in demand after the 2017 fires in Santa Rosa, and Goodwin is prepared for the same this year. For The California Report, I'm Nina Sparling. And finally this morning, let's end the show at the ballpark. High drive! Left field! It is out of here! And we are going home! That's San Francisco Giants player Donovan Solano just pounding in the winning home run last night in a home game against the Dodgers. Because of coronavirus, the stands were empty, and there were no hugs or high fives as he arrived at home plate. But the game was still a wild, high-drama, 11-inning epic that ended with the Giants winning 10-8. I'm not happy as a Dodgers fan, but it's nice to know that California baseball rivalries continue in the pandemic, even with simulated crowd noise. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, August 26th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can listen to our California Report podcast. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from the California Earthquake Authority urging Californians to prepare to survive and recover from the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. The California Healthcare Foundation, acknowledging the vital work of local public health departments to keep Californians safe during the pandemic. On the web at chcf.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. 
special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.